You just sang that the grave couldn't hold him. Heaven can't contain him. So what can we do? There's a couple things. There's probably a number of things. But one thing we can do, and this is something that's phenomenal being here this week, is we can worship him. And we can praise him. And I've been in the back of the room, and that's impressive. But when I come up here, and you're all facing and singing towards me, we're singing for an audience of one. And I think he is enjoying it. The audience of one. Let's, let's just give, let's give the Lord a round of applause. Yeah. But I see God on his throne and the sun beside him and the presence of the Holy Spirit is there. And they are clapping when worship is for real. When it's coming from the heart and we mean it. Second thing we can do is we can get in the business of tearing things down and building them back again. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It comes from this, another one of these contrasts that we talked about yesterday in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. To everything there is a season and, to a, and a time to every purpose under heaven. And this is about number four. I guess I didn't count it. But a time to tear down or break down and a time to build up. So as we think about that, just kind of following the theme that I've got through this, is we want to have an eternal perspective about that. There's a reason that we do this kind of thing, and it's not just because it makes someone else happy or keeps the church off my back or anything like that. We do this with an eternal perspective because we are redeemed. We are blood-bought saints of God. We are a purchased possession, and God has placed expectations on how we live. So we want to have an eternal perspective. And today, yesterday we talked about an eternal perspective of life and death. Today we have an am I in the way? Today we have an eternal perspective about the power of habits and disciplines. So that is where we're going today. So the power of habits and disciplines, do they really have that much power or are they just kind of out there and we pick and choose how they work? Well, I'd like to show you a little bit of the power and habits of a di of di power of habits and disciplines. First of all, habits and disciplines can influence and affect our Christian walk. Hebrews 3 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you a heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So a habit or a discipline can influence and affect our Christian walk. Secondly, habits and disciplines can either add to or detract from our life in Christ. You see, they're either building up or they're, built, or they're tearing down the life we have in Christ. Verses 1 Timothy 4.16, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will both save yourself and them that hear you. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Understand the principles of why you make choices to do something or not do something. Because disciplines can add or detract from my life in Christ. Number three, can you see this any better today than you could yesterday? Okay, number three, habits and disciplines can determine the effectiveness of our testimony. And you notice I'm using the word can. There are 
habits and disciplines that I'm going to say fall in the middle somewhere. Maybe you like to exercise. Well, that can be a habit. That can be a discipline. Maybe you eat a certain way. That's a discipline. But a lot of, and a lot of this stuff is kind of in this gray no man's land. But we're talking about stuff that has the potential to impact our spiritual walk. Do I do this or do I not do this? So that's what we're after. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Having our lifestyle honest among the Gentiles. I would say our habits and disciplines would fall in that category. When the world looks at what we do, what we're engaged in, and how we... Maybe our habits. When the world sees that, they, there's a testimony that goes out. You know, think about it. You walk in a store and you see somebody... And you can categorize people by what they look like. You know, if they're all funked out and they're tatted up and they're pierced up and they're, they're smoking and it's just, you know, falling apart and at 3 o'clock in the afternoon they haven't got out of their pajamas yet, that kind of thing. There's a testimony with that. All of you have a testimony to the world. You may think you might look a little funny. You, you have a testimony in that. You are beautiful young ladies and handsome young men, and that is a rarity. They may not understand why you're doing what you're doing, but they notice you. And there is a testimony just in your appearance alone. Not that I'm saying your appearance should be a habit necessarily. It's okay to get up in the morning, get dressed, and comb your hair. Number four, habits and disciplines can have eternal consequences. They can take us down a road far enough that there is eternal consequences in the power of habits and disciplines. Second Peter 3, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, be aware, lest you also, being led away by the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. You trickle away your habit or your discipline, leads you away, and pretty soon you've got nothing left. You've just been led away with the error of the wicked. But it says in contrast to that, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want a habit and a discipline? That's the habit and the discipline that every one of us need to be cultivating on a daily basis. So, if, if habits and disciplines have that kind of power and influence in our lives, if these four things are true, and they have that kind of power then how do we filter? Is there some checklist? Is there something that we could take an idea, a habit, for example, and run it through a set of filters to kind of get a, you know, a green light, red light type of response? And I'm going to suggest to you three of them today. And as we do that, recognize there may be other filters. Maybe you got some other ideas. This, this list is not just limited to these three, but I picked these three to just use for today. Okay, so the first one, in Ephesians, oh, I'm sorry, I'm still building to that. I think I jumped ahead of myself. If they have that kind of power, how do we choose filters? Okay, so if we take a look at this, pas if this passage, first of all, in Ephesians 5, it says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools. What I want out of that is we have a choice in our habits and disciplines, and ultimately, it's going to be deemed a wise choice or a foolish choice. So when we think about that, that means it's either going to enhance or detract from my spiritual walk. That's where it's going. So our choices are either going to be categorized one way or the other. So we need some filters that we can work through. We need some ideas on how we can do that. 
The next verse begins to give us some clues on how we filter things. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Pete, did you use that verse today? I know you talked about redeeming for a while. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. And I know you worked with Pete a little bit on, on some definitions, but I'm going to give you a few as well. Pretty much the same thing. To redeem is to buy up, to rescue from loss, or to utilize fully. Now as we think about that, I'm going to focus primarily for the moment on rescue from loss. Well, how do you rescue lost time? We can't go back and grab it. What we can do is recognize the time that we've wasted in the past, what led us down that pathway to waste time, and we can make, we can make um, decisions today that as we move forward, we're not going to go down that pathway to burn time in the future. So we are rescuing future time based on decisions of our behavior in the past. Does that make sense? If I find that I have 15 minutes of time and my habit is to whip out my cell phone and bounce around Instagram or play a game or watch a video or whatever, if that's my habit, I can look back over the last week or month or year and it doesn't take a math genius to start figuring out that those little 15 minute blips, maybe a couple times a day, adds up to some serious time in a year. So I can say, well, you know, that was, that was completely wasted. So maybe if I burned a day's worth of time in a year, well, I'm going to try to recapture a half a day. And then maybe a little more, and then maybe a little more. That's what it means to rescue back from lost. Okay, time. This idea of time means, again, we look back in our past, we recognize behaviors and patterns, and we make a commitment that we're going to start now on change. We, time, time in this verse means from this moment on. Not just this great big perspective, but we're going to start today, right now. So redeeming the time means that we're going to find value that we previously maybe didn't have or weren't taking advantage of. And we're going to start right now to try to capture some of that time. So why do we want to redeem time? What's the point? I mean, you enjoy Instagram or Facebook or Pinterest or a game or a video or whatever it is you do, maybe it's not your phone, maybe it's something else, but why go through this kind of work? It's a lot of work. We do it because when any time we redeem time like that, we're doing it to God's glory. That's the underlying driving factor in everything we're going to talk about today is we are trying to glorify God in our bodies and in our spirits. That's what's driving this. However, there's another little phrase on there that we need to understand. It says, because the days are evil. Now that maybe doesn't make a lot of sense. Redeem time because the days are evil. What does that mean? Well, I'd like to suggest to you that means that there are constant satanic influential forces at work on your life trying to steal your time. And they're going to do that with habits and disciplines. They're going to do it, first of all, maybe with some curiosity, maybe just a little boredom, and then that becomes a habit, and after a while, that habit becomes a discipline, and after you have a discipline a while, by and by you reap your destiny. Yesterday we talked about destiny. Habits and disciplines have the power to make a destiny or determine a destiny. Just a little bit at a time. So this, because the days are evil, young folks, we are surrounded by 
continuous, satanically influenced culture and people. Now what I mean by that is, why am I moving all of a sudden? I didn't do anything. What am I doing wrong on this thing? That's what we did yesterday. You are surrounded by satanic, constant satanic pressure. Remember, Satan is the prince and power of this world. This culture, this world, all that belongs to him. And so the people that are in that culture are affected by that as well. And that influences you. The culture says to do this, do that. That's cool. Hey, there's no harm in it. That is satanic influence, even from not necessarily satanically inhabited people. Just Satan has influence in their lives. They're not born again believers. And that has an influence. Windows P, Merle? C? Okay. There we go. Yeah, we got it. Merle, you didn't have any trouble with this, did you? Is it going to sleep? Uh uh. Everything stays the same up here. will blank this out. Yeah, yeah extend. Unfortunately, my notes are attached to my slides. Otherwise, I just freewheel it and we play catch up with the slides. So, Merle, I might use your assistance up here. You need to go back out and come back in. Let's just get rid of all the rest of this stuff. More than you want. Okay. You may need to go clear back out and come back in. Just exit it? I think I would because see when you come back in a while ago, you just start. Yeah, I don't know how I got Cortana open. Got all kinds of stuff open. Just start completely over. Sorry. Okay. We were finishing up on redeeming the time as we think about because the days are evil, 
Now, one other thing I'd like to share with you, you are new creatures in Christ. As a new creature in Christ, you, as soon as you decided that, as we talked about yesterday, you decided to change your destiny, you put a target on your back. Satan is not impressed when someone decides to change their destiny. There's a target that goes on your back. There's even a bigger, harsher target that goes on your back when you actually decide to start living out your commitment that you want to change your destiny. The more committed you are, the bigger and harsher the target that is on your back from Satan because he does not appreciate it. Why? Because there's a testimony that goes out from your life to other people who are lost or who are searching. And the more effective and disciplined you are, and walking with the Lord, the greater that testimony. Bottom line, the bottom line of this is, is that we have declared war. This is war to do what we're going to talk about today. Open warfare. So now as we think, of, as we think about this a little bit, okay, so we've selected our destiny. We've chosen Christ. We're part of the redeemed. And we've, we've decided we're going to redeem some of our time. And, the, and understanding that time is the single greatest treasure that every one of us have. It's the one talent that we all share in common. We have this moment. We don't have next moment or next week or whatever. We have this moment. So as we engage in this, that is the significance of redeeming the time. We have just this moment to affect change. And then we have the next moment. And then the next moment. But that is one thing that we all have in common. So as we think about that in perspective of tearing down and building up, how can I make the best use of my time when all I have of time is right now? So what is going to govern my choices? How am I going to decide that? What filters am I going to use to, to decide what... I want for habits and disciplines in my life. Or what is it that as I go through this exercise, maybe the Spirit points out, you know, you got a problem over here. You need to deal with that and replace it with this. One thing I'm going to throw in, you'll hear it a couple times today. This is not about tearing down and just leaving torn down. That is dangerous. You never leave a vacuum in your life. Because guess what happens? Who's right there waiting to fill a vacuum? Jesus talked about that. He says, if you cast a spirit out of a man and you, nothing comes back in to replace it, the man gets all cleaned up, the spirit goes out and finds seven others worse than himself, and the man ends up worse than he was in the beginning. We never can leave a vacuum in our lives. We find problems, we tear it down, we replace it with something else. If we have some good things, we add to them and enhance them. So, filters. Filter number one. Oh. I guess I had pictures. We're going from born again. Now we're dealing with our, the power of habits and disciplines, breaking chains, freedom from self, as Merle talked about last night, freedom from sin tonight. So choices. Number one, I am a purchased possession. Jesus Christ paid with his life in order to redeem me from a destiny of death. Huge price. Part of the Godhead had to sacrifice himself so that I can have life. That means, I, 1 Corinthians 6.20, I'm bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and spirits. What's it say at the end? The last phrase? Which are God's. We no longer belong to ourselves. If we don't belong to ourselves, do we have the express right to decide how we want to live? We do not. 
God has placed expectations on the lives of believers on how they're to, to behave. Habits, disciplines fall into that. We are a purchased possession. So as we begin to look at habits and disciplines, we need to kind of look at them and say, okay, is that something that, that belongs in my life because I'm no longer my own? Would God approve of this? Really a simple, easy way to think of that one. The second one, I am a temple for God. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Not only are you purchased by God, God through the Holy Spirit is now indwelling the life of a believer. Now, I'm not... Just a little exercise for you. If you're curious, go into Ezekiel. I didn't look up what chapter. And read about how the Shekinah glory left the temple in Israel. Shekinah glory was God's glory. It physically resided inside the temple. Well, the people weren't going through these filters. And so I kind of forget the whole progression. It went from the inside the temple to the doorway to the top of the building to a mountaintop. And then it disappeared and it has not returned to earth since then. Because the people were not running their lives through a filter. They, we are a temple of God. They were talk, that, there it was the physical temple that Solomon, no, Ezra built that one, right? Okay, that was a physical temple. We are God's temple. Which temple you are. So, as we think about habits and disciplines, we run it through that filter. Is this something that's appropriate? If, the, if we were in this physical building as a temple, would, would you bring or I bring my habits and my disciplines and just lay them out there on the floor and say, Lord, there, there they are, and be proud of them? Would God accept that as a, as a gift? Think about it in your own life. Would God accept your habits and your disciplines as a gift? Or would He see it as something that needs to be torn down? The final one that I have is, I am a chosen tool in the hand of God. Ephesians 2.10, for we, we are His workmanship created unto Christ Jesus. Why? For good works. For good works. Which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. You know what that means? And if you sometimes, we all struggle with identity. We've talked about that, right? It's been what we've been talking about here is identity. What this tells me is, is that every one of us was individually and personally chosen by God to be who we are. I am me because God picked me before I was conceived. And, God, and furthermore, God had a plan for me as he did for you. God has a purpose. God has a plan. God has something for your life that He wants to fulfill in you. How can we do that if we've got habits and disciplines that are out of control? So when you think of yourself as a useful tool in the hand of God, do my habits and my disciplines enhance or detract from those three items? Now, I said a little bit ago that as we decide to go through this exercise, we are declaring war. When we, that's, that's when we decide to go through the exercise. When we begin to actually actively utilize this exercise, we are at war. It's one thing to declare it. Because you can, in you know, a lot of saber rattling and, you know, we can huff and puff and all that. 
But now, if we're going to utilize, utilize this, we are actually engaging in active spiritual warfare. That means we are at war. If we're at war, that means there's somebody or something at war with us too. I don't know if it's turned out very good, but you can see the lion right here. What's Peter say about the devil? He's a lion seeking whom he may devour. This is active. This isn't just imaginary or theoretical. This is real. When we begin to change our lives and walk in accordance to God's plan and expectation, this is what's going to happen. It's hard. It's hard enough that the Apostle Paul said in Romans 7:18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I don't find it. I know what I need to be doing. The Apostle Paul, a significant man, would you not say? He still saw things in his life. Habits, disciplines, character traits, attitudes, something in his life that did not measure up to God's standard of holiness. Otherwise, he'd be Jesus Christ. But he wasn't. And he says, I know this intellectually, but to actually get it all accomplished, it's really, really hard. Because satanic forces were beating on him too. Most of us with our habits and our disciplines, we have them because we like them. You ask a smoker why he doesn't quit, it's because he likes to smoke. He likes the taste, he likes the activity, the busyness, but he likes what he's doing. If he didn't like it, he'd quit. And it's the same way for you and I. It's difficult because we have to crucify self, as Merle talked about last night. We've got to lay self down and say, you know what, it doesn't matter how much I like it. It doesn't matter how much fun I have with it. It doesn't matter that I'm really cool when I do this. If we want to have an effective testimony, if we want to walk with the Lord as He wants us to walk, and we want to be an effective tool in His hand, it's going to be hard. But you know, Paul doesn't just leave us right there. And part of the encouragement with this whole passage in, in Romans chapter 7, I know you don't see it yet, in Romans chapter 7, is the fact that we don't have to do this alone. If we try to do this alone, Merle, wasn't your quote last night something about um, why should I do this again or try this again? I've kind of crucified myself once, but it didn't work out so well, and I'm going to do it again. Something to that effect? I'm putting you on the spot. Okay, well, anyway, my point is when we try to do it on our own, it's not going to work because we're going to have a weak moment, we're going to have a tired day, we're going to come under pressure and stress, and we're going to revert back to where we were. We don't have to do it alone. We never have to do it alone. Romans 8.1 says, therefore, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The big key here is, we don't have to do it alone because we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there to help us and assist us and remind us. Sometimes give us a kick. But not only do we have the Holy Spirit, we have each other. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. We have small groups. We have prayer groups. We have church families. We've got extended families. We've got all kinds of things at our disposal that we can use because this is really hard. Why do you think the Bible says to confess your faults one to another? Because without confession, 
without speaking that out, without admitting some of these things, nobody else is going to know when you're in trouble. When we're willing to confess and when we're willing to be humble enough to confess those to each other, that's when there's accountability. Now surely that's not a new word in this group. We have each other. We have the Holy Spirit. We have everything we need in order to accomplish that. In fact, um, I've been kind of, I've enjoyed it. This war is worth fighting is one of my points. But I, with that, I have the war is worth fighting from 2 Peter chapter 3, 4. Why is it worth fighting? Because we have been given, sorry, I'm getting my verses mixed up. 2 Peter 3, 4, whereby are given us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, which having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We can be participants and part of the very nature of God. Heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ? How do we get to that status? When we stand before the throne of God, it's not just a bunch of humans there. We are part of the bride of Christ. We are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. In my imagination, when, when, I, when any one of us are presented before the throne of God, faultless, as Jude says, what does Jesus say? Well, this is Chris. He lived in, you know, he's born in 1972. He lived in Modesto, California. Lord, I, you know, he's just a little insignificant guy. No, Jesus is going to go before the Father, and he's going to say, Father, this is now my brother. I am adopted, and I'm a joint heir. I am a son of God. The Bible says multiple times, most powerful name in the world is to be called a son of God. And that's who we are. So that makes the war worth fighting. Second one, I bumped ahead. There is no such thing as non-resistance or conscientious objection in spiritual warfare. Armor's on, weapons out. It is active and it is sometimes damaging. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's really hard. But we don't sit back and say, well, I'm non-resistant. I'm just going to sit back. There is no such things there. What does James say about that? He says, so humble yourselves before God. That's honest confession. And the truth, the truth will set you free. That's honest confession. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That is active participation in spiritual warfare. And it's hard. But the war is worth fighting. This is a war to death. This is not a war that we go out tomorrow or today and we engage in this war and we win the war and the enemy sues for peace. This is a war that we fight today and then today and then again today and then again today and then tomorrow we pick it up again and fight it and fight it and fight it and fight it. This is a war all the way until we walk through that doorway to our destiny. It is an ongoing, continuous war. Philippians 1.29 
For to you it has been granted for Christ's sakes not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now, a lot of times we read that and we think about physical suffering. There is spiritual suffering. Merle talked about Gethsemane last night. I, 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 my imagination again, I think Gethsemane was the hardest thing Christ did. Physical pain, people understand. Physical pain, at some point the body starts to regulate that a little bit. But at Gethsemane, he was in open spiritual warfare. When, when Christ cried, Father, your will be done, do you think that was an easy thing for him to do? That was the most hor uh, horrendous thing that he could do to get to that point because his flesh was rebelling. He didn't want to die as a man any more than you and I do. And it took Gethsemane to get him to Golgotha. Because he had to submit to the will of the Father. Open spiritual warfare was happening in Gethsemane in the mind of Christ. You think as he looked at that cup and he saw the sins of humanity in that cup that he wanted to take it and drink it? You wouldn't drink this if I spit in it. My spit's clean compared to what he saw. Open spiritual warfare. It's hard, it's painful. Now back to the other passage in 2 Peter 3, 3. According as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That is significant. Godliness means that we have a mindset in trying to please God. That's an active pursuit. We, and then life, we have been given everything we need to win that war. Everything. None of us can stand up and say, well, I lost, but you know what, Lord, you shortchanged me because I didn't have this spiritual uh, weapon. No. He's given unto us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Young folks, you are equipped to win this war. You have all the tools you need. Now, maybe you need some training. Maybe you need some time. Maybe you need somebody to kind of help be your shield bearer sometimes. But you have what you need to win. And you can win. True change. If you really want to engage in this battle, true change is only going to happen through a cross. True change only comes when we are willing to crucify ourselves and live as Christ. Galatians 5.24, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts thereof. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The hard part is, is that crucifixion needs to happen now. And it may need to happen in the next now. And over and over and over again, that we have to nail our flesh on that cross to be effective in spiritual warfare. Okay, I already said that. Now, this part I do know that Merle said last night, that you are not the person you used to be, or words to that effect. 
You're not the person you used to be. Is there anybody in here that knows what an osteoplast or an osteoblast is? If you do, raise your hand. One, two, oh, about maybe half a dozen of you. An osteoplast and an osteoblast is the best friend you never knew you had. Now, this is non-spiritual, but it is makes my point. These are the best friends you never had. Only six of you, plus maybe me, knew what this is. What these guys are is they are in the process of continuously rebuilding your bones. The osteoplast floats through your bloodstream. It's a cell. It floats through, and it detects weak spots, old spots, things in your bone, and it's, it's got an acidic protein that's made up of, and it goes on the bone, and it just eats it away. And then the osteoblast trickles along behind, and it finds this little spot that just got carved out, and it lays a brand new layer of bone. Your body has a new skeleton 100% every 10 years. So you are not the person you used to be. I'm on round five. I'm 5.0. Some of you are 2.0 are working on it. What's even cooler about the whole thing, I mean, I know I'm off the spiritual lesson here, but what's even cooler about that is, is these little guys float through your bloodstream and there are certain bones in your body that, take, that, are, that are more stressed, that, are, that wear out faster, and they know to replace those bones faster. They just float around and it's in your DNA that, hey, you're, I don't know, I didn't look up to see which bones that was, but maybe your elbow joints, a lot of use in your elbows or your knees, and they work there, so that turns over much faster. Some of your bones are replaced every two years, the whole bone. That's significant. Now, does anybody not kind of get the spiritual application here with this? Spiritual osteoplasty, blowing up the dead works. We have something a whole lot better than an osteoplast floating in our lives. We have the Holy Spirit of God that continuously resides in our hearts and is active 24 hours a day as long as we breathe and He's in direct communication with the Father and He can find the weak spots. In fact, He even knew where your weak spots would be before you were born. He just needs you to catch up and understand that and figure that out. So spiritual osteoplasty. Let's read this passage. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5. Somebody just jump up and read it, please. Here's Mike. Let's do it, boy, this time. <clears throat> Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil con concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Do you want the whole thing read? Yeah, read the whole thing. Okay. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds." All of these things need to undergo an osteoplasty. 
Okay, these are the list. There's other lists in the Bible. There's other verses in the Bible that talk about things we need to remove out of our lives too. But this was one spot we could go that we are to put to death. We're to destroy. We're to eradicate certain things out of our lives. Now, I'm not going to take the time to go through and define that. If you don't know what all those words mean, you can look that up on your own time. But as we think about habits and disciplines, our habits are either going to lead to or lead away from these items. You know, if you've got a lot of dead time and you're just a phone scroller, your, your odds of getting yourself in trouble with your phone is a lot higher than if you're willing to just put your phone away when you have an extra few minutes and do something else. Okay, that's what he's talking about. You have to go back and figure these things out. Now, hopefully nobody here is having troubles with some of these things directly, but how many of us have habits or disciplines that if we, if we run that tape out far enough, it's going to land there? At the, very, at the very least, it's going to land there in my head and in my heart. So that what I'm saying is we have to run things through the filters because when they, when they're, when they need to be destroyed, it's going to be on this list somewhere. And that's kind of the list that we're using to work from for today. As we think about habits and disciplines, what do I need to take out of my life? But as I stated earlier, we can't just take something out and not put something else back in there. Vacuums are deadly. Vacuums will get us in worse trouble than we were before. So we've got instead to rebuild now. We've got to put things back together. Rebuilding the walls, the broken walls in our minds. Maybe we've got habits. Maybe we've got disciplines and we decide to tear them down. We put something else back in their place. Let's give the mic to one of the girls, Reuben. And one of you ladies, would you read that? If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. This is one of the greatest if-then statements for any of you that like math. This is great. And, and if is not if like we think of if. That word if means since. That's a declarative statement. Since you are risen with Christ, since you are dead, verse 3, and your life is hid in Christ, since Christ is your life, and he's going to appear and take you with him to glory, since those things, then seek what's above. Set your mind on things that are above. If then, since then, since I belong to Christ, I'm a purchased possession, I'm a useful tool, I'm a temple of His Spirit, since those things, then I need to then be changing my outlook. I need to be seeking something different. I need to be seeking the things that God wants me to seek. When I set my affections above, that means I need to love the things God wants me to love. It's not complicated. It's very simple. Since I've been redeemed, since I'm a born-again believer, then I need to be looking out and thinking about what does God want me to think about? What does God want me to be engaged in? How does God want me to live and to act? What habits and disciplines does God want in my life? I'm just going to move on from that. I'm probably out of... What time does my time up? 
It's at 12 now. We got one minute. Cool. Okay. How many slides can we cover in a minute? Okay. I'm gonna. This is very quick. I just. This is just a list I put together. There's. Okay. Well, I have an exercise I want to do with everybody. So let me. I got just a couple. I think a couple. Oh, I got more than a couple. <laughs> Warning signs of carnal habits. And, you know, this is not significant. I didn't get this from some guru. This is just common sense. We want to keep it a secret. Okay, how many of you have a habit or a discipline that you would be a little embarrassed to stand up in here and share? We want to keep it a secret. It only brings glory and recognition to me all the way down. The whole, there's, there, you can make your own list. This is not a hard list to make. Just spend a little time, think it through about warning signs of carnal habits and disciplines. There's another one, exactly the same thing as we think about the other side of the coin. It draws my heart and mind closer to God. It encourages my walk with God. This is just common sense stuff. Okay, it's just, just thinking through things and being, and, and taking the, a lot of it's about taking the time to sit down and logically and rationally think about what you're doing. Most of us just kind of react I got 15 minutes, my phone comes out. It's a habit. But, you know, if we stop and think about it, we can affect change. Now, here's just another list. This, again, this is just a list. Okay? Individual disciplines that we can be striving for. Pray for understanding. Read the Bible regularly. Study the Bible. Memorize. Meditate. Apply. Persevere in the Word. Is there anything new there that you haven't been raised on? There's probably 14 more things we could put on there. Right? Like make phone calls and send text messages and encourage one another and, and sing. And, and there's all kinds of things we could add to this list. Group disciplines, same thing. Here's just a, some group disciplines we can do together. But what about, you know, encouraging the old folks or bringing somebody to church or taking a meal to a, uh, to a new mom? I mean, there's all kinds of things to add to the list that will build and enhance habits and disciplines. Because it starts to change how we think. Because it's changing our heart. When it's in our heart, it changes our thought process, which then changes our behavior. Okay, how many of you here, I know the California young folks, or guys anyway, I don't know if you young California girls know about this or not. How many of you here are familiar with sword drills? Oh, wow, piece of cake. Okay, I thought maybe there wasn't, I didn't know. Okay, sword drill, it's not original with me by any means. I actually got it out of the Conqueror series book. And for those of you who are not familiar, the sword drill is a pattern of spending time in God's Word to try to understand what a passage, a verse means to me. And then applying it to my life. Okay, it's a scripture, verse, and then you write it down. Writing is significant, guys. If you don't like to write like I don't like to write, it is significant. There's something about your brain that when you write, it, it does a better job of keeping it in your brain. Say it out loud, same thing. So when you read it, you say it, and you write it, that's pretty significant for keeping it in your head. Get down on your knees and read it as a prayer. Ever hear of praying scripture? Probably many of you do. But take a scripture and you spend a little bit of time thinking it through. Just reading it. Then you wait. That's the hard part. You're supposed to wait one minute, seven and a half seconds. That's the way God works. He never puts this 
bracket around it. You know, if you wait five minutes, you've waited long enough, then you can go do. Just wait. And if you'll spend time just waiting and just thinking about the verse, not necessarily trying to analyze the whole verse, just let God have some time to work and speak into your mind. Then you observe. This is, this is just basic observations. The verse said this. And you can make a list. The next one is then you make a request. You ask the Holy Spirit to again start to show you how to take what you observed. And what does that mean to me? Making it personal. You don't need pictures of this necessarily. It's on the paper that's coming around. But if you want pictures, that's fine. And then the last one is then you take what you have requested and observed and put them together and you dedicate this verse said this to me. It spoke this to me. Now I want to actually change my life. I want to change my habits and my disciplines. And this is how I'm going to do it. Instead of whipping out my phone, I'm going to do something else. So instead of whatever it is we do. Now I'm going to show you, for those of you who haven't done this, uh, one that I did. And I've, I kind of depersonalized this. You can personalize them as much as you want. But I just... For those of you who are doing the Second Timothy passage, thou therefore endure hardness or suffering as a good soldier in Jesus Christ. Okay, then my basic observations is life is not always going to be easy, and Jesus Christ has called me to, a, a, to be a soldier. That's not rocket science to find those two in that verse. Okay, then the request. I'm, I've waited, the Spirit speaking to me. Now this is to me. Help me to remember that I'm a soldier engaged in a real war with a real enemy. It is okay to do and have hard things. It's not the end of the world because life's hard. Should be, we should consider it as a blessing. The apostles did. They counted themselves honored to have suffered for Christ's sake. It will not always be fair. And then dedicate. Here's the dedication. To train. You know, we're not always just out right on the front line. But all of us are soldiers. And there are times that we need to just be training. Quiet times, slower times, peaceful times, if you will, when you train. You think about that, just how ludicrous it'd be if somebody signed up for the military and they handed them a uniform and a gun and flew them to some war zone and just dropped them off. How long do you think they'd live? Zero training. Probably not very long. It's no different for us with spiritual warfare. You as young people are in your training ground. That doesn't mean you don't have spiritual warfare going on, but you don't have it probably quite the same as some of the older ones do. You have the opportunity now with mentorship, with church families, with small groups to train. How else are you going to learn? You know, the Apostle Paul did that. The Apostle Paul had an amazing experience on the Damascus Road, didn't he? How many of us would like to have had an experience, maybe not quite the same way, but it'd sure be nice to see a light from heaven, hear the voice of God, maybe get knocked on the ground. That would be kind of a cool conversion experience. There'd be no question about what was going on. Well, it wasn't in Paul's mind either. He went to Damascus. Three days later, he got his sight back, and he did what? He went and started preaching, and it didn't work. He had to go out in Arabia. I didn't look it up. Was it 12 or 15, 14 years? It was a long time. 14? He went out into Arabia to train for 14 years. And then he went and became the great missionary that wrote all these books in the Bible. That has all this doctrine that we, we live by and understand. 